Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. Well, today um, we are doing the fifth installment of our sermon series, BC Squared, Biblical Characters Before Christ. Uh, We've talked about some great ladies and gentlemen. We uh, talked about Amos and Josiah, Shipra and Pua, and last week, uh, Pastor Steve brought us the amazing adventures of the wonderful Abigail. So let me just say this about prequels, right? Most prequels stink, and they're, for whatever reason, not as good as the original story. <laughs> Who feels my pain? <clears throat> Misa thinks so. That's why I say that. Um, by the way, the reason I'm using a handheld today, I, you can tell by my voice I'm struggling with a cold, and if I go on a coughing fit, just ignore me for a minute, and I didn't want to have, the, I didn't want to have this mic on because the last thing I want to do is amplify a cough for your uh, listening enjoyment. So I have the quick escape in case I need to, so there we go. Um, so noting that, that prequels oftentimes are not as good as the original story, that's what we are led to believe at first when we look at 2 Chronicles 33. Now, it'll be a prequel to you if you were here several weeks ago and you heard uh, my sermon on Josiah the Tenacious um, and how he tenaciously purged Judah of all of the idolatry and he tenaciously pursued God with everything that was in him. Well, we did, uh, we went down that road. So today, the prequel, the fact is, his grandfather, was named Manasseh. And we did mention Manasseh in the sermon about Josiah, and what little we did mention about him was nothing short of horrific. But 2 Chronicles shares a surprising ending to Manasseh's life, which I like to call the beautiful demise of King Manasseh. It's a great story of mercy and repentance. It's going to be a good story, a prequel that will not disappoint. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, for your word. Lord, we thank you as we are about to enter and just look at a, a, a slice, um, probably the greatest slice of Manasseh's life. Lord, let it remind all of us of your great mercy. We serve a merciful God, a God whose mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God, to us. So Lord, as we open your word this morning, Holy Spirit, come and we just drink in of these mercies. Lord, you, you save us, you spare us so much from what we deserve. Lord, we thank you that we eat at your table of mercy and grace freely as sons and daughters. Thank you for the privilege of getting to know you better through your word today. Uh, we ask for your help and your presence here in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Second Chronicles 33, 9 through 10. You can look at that in your Bibles or on your phone. If not, I do have it up on the screen. Um, in a, in a font that I never used before. So let's see if that works. Second Chronicles 33, 9 and 10 says this. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil. Everyone say more evil. More evil than the nations that the Lord had destroyed before them. That is mind-blowing. They did more evil than those evil nations. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people but they paid no attention. So that would lead us into a uh, quick summary of Manasseh's evil. 
If I, if I detailed all of it, we would be here all morning and we would be extraordinarily depressed at the end. So uh, let me just give you a, a few highlights, probably better said lowlights, of Manasseh's five-decade reign. So ironically, he was born to one of the greatest and most godly kings in the history of Judah was Hezekiah. Hezekiah had all kind of beautiful forms, loved God, treasured the word of God, so his son Manasseh did not. Uh, Manasseh was one of the, uh, was arguably the, one of the, the, the worst king in the history of Israel or Judah. Now Israel, the northern kingdom, normally had the really stinkers, they had the really bad kings. So Manasseh was so bad, even the northern kingdom was like, hmm, he should play for our team. This guy is bad. He was bad by northern kingdom standards, right? So in his five-decade reign of ungodly terror, Manasseh did these things. He erected altars and shrines to gods like Baal, Asherah, and Molech, and the whole host of heaven, which is astrological worship, the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Um, he erected in the high places around Jerusalem and uh, they, where they worshiped pagan gods and opened up shop for pagan prostitution. Even Asherah, the fertility goddess, was found in the temple of God. Can you imagine, what if you came in next week at KPC and there was a statue to Asherah here? I mean, how horrifying that would be. If any of you returned the next week, you, um, we should have you checked out. That's all I'm saying. But you know what, the, you know what would be the worst thing at, uh, than seeing a statue of Asherah here in the KPC sanctuary? Is to get used to a statue of Asherah in the sanctuary. And that's exactly what the people of Judah did. It was probably shocking at first, and then after a while, like, oh yeah, there's Asherah right in the middle of the temple of God. The, the temple that when he spoke to Solomon, Solomon's, uh, he, God told Solomon, you will build a temple for my name. And whose name is it now? Asherah's name is in there. Unbelievable, the, the state of the union. Manasseh celebrated wizards, diviners, enchanters, necromancers, those that interact with the dead, fortune tellers, and pretty much anyone that had expertise in the dark satanic arts, all right? So he was a, he kind of was a businessman. He was, a, he did a lot of importing. You know what he imported? <laughs> he imported not just fine linens from Egypt and Levi's from California, but also dark, the dark practices from the darkest nations on the planet, from Assyria and Babylon. The Assyrians were ruthless. Uh, the worship, even the, the, the worship of their gods was savage. And so Manasseh imported their religions and their gods. Yeah, we'll worship them too. Uh, 2 Kings 21 also uh, informs us that Manasseh shed innocent blood. He even passed his very own sons through the fire of, uh, in, in sacrifice to the god Molech in, in hopes that Molech would bless him financially. Imagine passing your sons through the fire. It is believed by many that he not only filled the streets of Jerusalem with the blood of the faithful remnant, but also it is likely that he's the one that executed the prophet Isaiah, having him sawed in half. So what in the world? Why was Manasseh's heart so hardened and given to evil? Well, like anything, there's always more than one answer, but here is a key one, because he dishonored the voice of God. Remember what we read in verse 10? Let's look at verse 10 again. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, right? God didn't speak just to the king, so the people are not, they can't all just point at Manasseh. God spoke to the people as well. But they paid no attention. 
So why would it be surprising that Manasseh would have someone like Isaiah killed, or other prophets for that matter, right? I mean, Isaiah, he was the heavy-hitting prophet of the day, and he simply would not go away. So, you know, guys like Joel and Habakkuk, you know, they're growing eyes in the back of their head with King Manasseh around, like, am I going to end up like him? Am I going to end up like all of the innocent people whose blood he has shed? But hey, when you don't want to hear God's voice, you will do what you got to do to get rid of it. And so if the prophet like Isaiah still keeps speaking the truth of God's word, well, you know what? Let's just get rid of Isaiah. How many have ever tried to get away from the voice of God and pulled your own version of Jonah? How many? Can I see those honest hands in here? Yeah. Yeah. Before we judge Manasseh too quickly, let's think of the the more subtle ways that we, as modern-day believers, try to silence the voice of God in our own lives when our hearts get hard and we just want to get our own way, right? We fill our lives with noise, afraid to be silent. We stop reading the Word of God, or we engage in selective reading, right? Matthew 17, also good. Matthew 18, skip. All right, Matthew 19, all right? That is, these are some of the subtle ways that we do that. We, um, we gather those around us that won't challenge us. These are the ways that we do what Manasseh did, except in a much, much less violent way. If you remember the story of his grandson, King Josiah, remember where he found the book of the law? It was tucked back in uh, the corner of the temple, and they just happened to find it during a renovation project. So this is the book of Deuteronomy that hadn't seen the light of day since Hezekiah. And so first, here it is, Manasseh. First, he spurned, you can tell, um, it's probably a safe bet to guess that he spurned the godly words of his father, Hezekiah, because you know Hezekiah, as a godly man, was pouring the word of God into his children. But Manasseh, he wanted no part of that. So that's, at, a, at a young age, he probably learned to shun the word of God. Of course, he, Manasseh gets rid of the prophets, he gets rid of the word of the God, and he tries to erase the voice of God from the land. So there's a whole generation that is so hardened that idols set up in the house of God doesn't even seem strange, let alone blasphemous. But it's always good to remember, right? There's always a remnant. There is always a remnant. There's a remnant today sometimes, uh, remember, in this seemingly godless nation that we are in. So who is the remnant? Yeah, the church. We are it. And if we as a remnant, if we ever forsake the word of God, the voice of God, Mm, Lord, have mercy on our souls. Just be a faithful remnant. If you go back to the early days of uh, Israel's monarchy, whenever um, the first king of Israel rolled around, so the first king of Israel was who? Saul. So there's a conversation that Saul and Samuel had one day. So Saul uh, got into a place where he was hardened. Um, he got hardened, prideful, and rebellious. And so Samuel said this to him, and I think uh, it's, on the, it's on this next slide. He said, Saul, for rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king, 1 Samuel 15. So those words, man, they just come generations later, and they come back to be, ring very true in the life of Manasseh. So not surprisingly, God deals with Manasseh in a very similar way. Not just a man who was hardened, prideful, and rebellious, but one who actually allowed actual witchcraft and idolatry, right? So he, 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 sees, he sees Saul, and he ups the ante, right? Um, so now after five days, five decades, I should say, 50 years, give or take, of rejecting God's voice, 
God steps in to Manasseh's life and rejects him as king. But strangely, only temporarily. What in the world is God up to? Thus begins the beautiful demise of King Manasseh, which at first isn't so beautiful. It's actually downright ugly and treacherous. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 33, 11. Therefore, the Lord brought upon Judah the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Just like God did many times before when his people rebelled, he does so again, and he brings about the treacherous Assyrians to invade Jerusalem. They capture Manasseh, and they drag him off to a Babylonian prison. All right? Tough day for King Manasseh after 50 years of ruling. So essentially, he became a vassal, which is kind of a, it's a prisoner king who becomes subject to um, a more powerful king, in this case, the king of Assyria, Esarhaddon. Manasseh probably rebelled against Esarhaddon at one point in time, and so God lifts his finger, Esarhaddon comes in, and it's time for Manasseh to pay the piper. The Bible says that he got pulled away after they put hooks through his nose and his lips, and they cuffed him up with double chains of bronze. All right, so what they would do then, and then they would lead him out, out of the city in front of all the people and parade this defeated king who's now a vassal uh, subjected to servanthood, uh, uh, you know, servitude and humiliation in front of all of the people that he once reigned. Tough day for Manasseh. When I read the story, I couldn't help but think, if you guys are familiar with uh, the 2008 song from Coldplay, Vita La Vida, you guys know that song? Great song. It, the song is actually written from the standpoint of a fallen king. And so uh, here are a few of the lyrics. I thought, huh, if you actually had a movie of Manasseh, this song would be playing in the background as he gets marched uh, out of Jerusalem on his way to Babylon. Uh, the, the, some of the lyrics say, I used to rule the world. Seas would rise when I gave the word. Now in the morning, I sleep alone. I sweep the streets I used to own. One minute I held the key, next the walls were closed on me. And I discovered that my castles stand upon pillars of salt and pillars of sand. That's, that's life on an earthly kingdom with earthly power. God raises kings and removes them, just like that, as he wills. So... Why do we call the fall of Manasseh a beautiful demise? Well, verse 12 and 13 tell us. Let's look at those two verses together. And when Manasseh was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Right? Probably most namely the God of his father. This is the God, this is the God that my father Hezekiah will worship with all of his heart. And now I think I need my daddy's God, to be mine. Verse 13, he prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem and into his kingdom. And then this beautiful, beautiful last line, then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now, these two verses here, this is a summary. There is a lot that has happened here. You know, there's actually years that take place. It's just a quick summary from the chronicler. But one thing that we know is this. The king, the very king who would not listen to God, was in the midst of his distress, heard 
by God. See, God employed a strategy that is, that is just beautiful. Sometimes, sometimes it's painful. You see, Manasseh would not hear him in any other way. But God employed another speaking strategy. Pain, right? Um, this is a great, uh, a great quote by C.S. Lewis. Probably many of you are familiar with it. It says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, or in this case, a deaf king. See, God was moved by his entreaty as a part of his chosen people. So after a few years of doing some hard time in a Babylonian prison, God brought him back to Jerusalem. It's amazing. So here's the deal. God judges him and God speaks. Manasseh repents. God hears, God forgives, and God restores. And Manasseh, for the first time in his life, knows that the Lord is God. In fact, uh, we could even, he probably, uh, he experienced the same thing that um, Horatio Spafford experienced. He's probably in the middle of his prison cell looking up and praying, saying, it is well with my soul. The same evil Manasseh, now so softened in the presence of God. Hey, one thing I just want to point out real quickly for, you, for those of you that uh, study the Bible, which hopefully is everyone, but if you read uh, the book of Kings, so the book of Kings and Chronicles, right, they both, they both um, tell the story uh, of Israel from the first king to the last, the story of the prophets and all of the great stories, and so, but they tell it from different perspectives. So if you read uh, the account of King Manasseh in 2 Kings, guess what ain't in there? His repentance. You're like, hello, how do you leave that out? So if you just read the book of Kings, you're thinking, well, Manasseh, hey, a horribly evil guy, and he died a horribly evil guy. Good for him. Next, let's move on. That's what you would think. But um, so here's, I just want to throw it out there because the Bible is not inconsistent in any way. So just real quickly, like the book of Kings, first of all, has a wider scope. The book of Kings kind of covers the, um, the, the journeys and the adventures and the kings of both Jerusalem, of both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. So it has a wider scope. And anytime you have a wider scope, you can't get all of the details, right? Secondly, Kings looks at history through more of a, a worldly political lens. And so it'll see the same events uh, but it'll, it'll say, okay, well, here's more of the facts. This is what it's like politically, uh, from an earthly standpoint. Um, and Chronicles, they look at that same history through more of a religious point of view, more of a heaven's view, as it were. So it's kind of like, the, not unlike the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all telling you the same thing. They have different audiences. They see slightly different things. That's why, uh, that's why there's some variation in there. Um, and finally, the book of Kings was written right as Israel and Judah, they're going into exile. So what are, the, what are the feelings you have at that point? You're angry, you're jaded, you're disillusioned, you're like, God, how could you forsake us like that? And so your tone is not going to be the same uh, because Chronicles is written 200 years later after the exile when Jerusalem was looking to become a state again. They're much more optimistic and hopeful, and it's a beautiful place uh, to put in the story of Manasseh's um, repentance. Isn't that cool? Oh, there you go. Nickel's worth of uh, some good advice there for you. 
So the Bible does not contradict itself, but that is the reason probably why uh, Kings does not share the story, but Chronicles does. So here we go. Let's turn the corner and um, to the home stretch here. God wanted Manasseh's heart. It would mercifully do whatever it took to break him upon the anvil of repentance. I had an old friend up in uh, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. He's a Baptist minister. Uh, I remember he would say this a couple times. I couldn't say it nearly as good as he does. But he would say, Mark, there ain't no glory of restoration without first the guts of repentance. When he said it, you wanted to repent, right? Um, but when I, when I think of Manasseh's repentance, this quote, um, maybe someone else thought of Jesus' words to another group of folks who had hardened hearts, the Pharisees. In Matthew 21, he says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken, meaning the rock of Christ will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed in judgment. So Manasseh, he has, the, he has the boulder of judgment hanging over his head. But mercifully, the rock comes down, doesn't, does not crush him to dust. And uh, in his repentance, he falls upon this rock and gets broken into maybe thousands of glorious pieces where the God, his creator God, can put him back together again. Kind of like Humpty Dumpty in a spiritual sense. Oh, the beautiful breaking of Manasseh by a merciful God. It wasn't just for his own sake, but it was for the sake of the people of God and it was for the sake of the glory of God. God showed his judgment to Manasseh, but then he showcased his spectacular mercy, forgiving uh, what many could call the poster boy for total depravity, right? Judgment is real. It's a part of God's nature, but the heart of God's nature is that mercy triumphs over judgment. So God is a real hero of the story, right? It's not Manasseh. No one that repents is a hero. You know, repentance is our, part of our reasonable act of worship to the Lord. I believe it's a foreshadowing of the forgiveness that Christ would show us. You know, just in a practical sense, how many of you would say outwardly that you're as evil as Manasseh, right? How many of you have shed innocent blood and idolatry, passed your sons through the fire? You know, you're like, oh, no, no. so God is saying, listen, if I can bring someone like Manasseh to repentance, I can do the same for you. So what are three reminders for us this morning? Uh, what are, when we think of reminders, let me get a drink here. Um, three reminders or takeaways from the story of Manasseh. You know, as we bear in mind, when the voice of the Lord enters into our lives, repentance is possible. It is a gift from God, the voice of God that's always calling us back to him. So as we think about that, here's the first one. Repentance, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not just the gift of initial repentance in response to the regenerating work of the Spirit when we first come to Christ, when, when we get saved. That is, some of you have amazing stories of initial repentance. It's beautiful. Remember, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Meta, like metamorphosis, change. So it really means a changing of a mind or changing of direction. So if you're going in one direction, uh, the repentance comes and you're like, wow, I'm going to head in this direction. I remember a, uh, a teenager years ago when he, when he came to Christ, he said, Mark, he's like, I'm so excited. He's like, I came to Christ. He goes, I did a total 360. I was like, okay, your math is bad, but Jesus loves you. And, um, you know, you should just probably do the 180 and then go that way. Um, 
So that's, that is a beautiful gift, that initial repentance, but also the gift of content, continual repentance before a holy God as a spiritual discipline, kind of like course corrections. So it's almost like uh, we are the children of the Father and we're walking down this path. And you know, like, hey, kids, we're walking in the woods. There's our destination. And the kids are taking off all of these trails to explore, do their own thing. And the Father's always calling them back to the path. Come on back. Come on back. That's just the way we are. We're like the kids, you know, prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. The Lord is calling us back. Continual repentance turning around, coming back to the path and walking with our Father. A great article by Tim Keller is called All of Life is Repentance. You should write that down. You should read it. It's not a very long article. But summary, he said we should repent continually, repent courageously, because when you repent, you've got to give some stuff up. It takes courage to do that. Repent in order that you would love others well and repent for the glory of God, not just to make ourselves feel better. Amen. So... That's the first takeaway right there, the first reminder. Repentance is a lifestyle. Number two, repentance has fruit on its tree. Um, uh, John the Baptist, he was also dealing with hard-hearted folks, right, the Pharisees. And remember, they would come out uh, and check him out, this whole baptism of repentance. Some of them would kind of go through the motions. And do you remember what he said to them? He, John the Baptist, did not have the kindest words for him. He was, uh, he was not shy. John, speak your mind, said no one ever. Um, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, back up your words and your tears with actions, with deeds, and obedience, right? So if he were here today, he would say, listen, you, as, you, as you explore your own sinful life, things you've got to repent from, if you have a, a shopping addiction, you know, bad stewardship, well, repent and then cut out that credit cards. If you're watching too much pornography, well, uh, well, lock up your phone and get some accountability, right? If, you're, if, you, if you love to gossip, well, stop hanging around with all the people that get you all juiced up. Like, there have got to be actions. There has to be fruit on the tree. Repentance is far more than just sobbing and crying out to God, although that is always a start. So if you read the story of Manasseh, he actually, he provided evidence he, that he did this very thing. When he came back, when the Lord restored him, after a few years in prison, he brought him back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine what that seems like? People are like, oh, Manasseh's back. Oh, what's he going to do now? You know, um, they have no idea of, of his metamorphosis or his change. But he comes back, and he clears the temple of Asherah and all the high places of the idolatry. And the verse 15 says, he threw them outside of the city, right? Now, if he, by the way, if he were as tenacious as his grandson Josiah, he wouldn't have just thrown them out of the city. He would have burned them because you know what his son Ammon did? He went and brought them back and set them back up, right? So he wasn't quite tenacious enough. But Manasseh did bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which is a beautiful thing. How many of you ever got saved at summer camp? The first thing you had to do was throw in your old ACDC or your KISS albums in the fire, huh? Scott McGregor, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> you probably still have them. That's all right. Um, you know, there's, there, there is always consequences. You know, Judah still faced an uphill battle because the consequences of his sin, it ran for years. They wouldn't find, uh, Judah wouldn't find a full scope of uh, reform until uh, Josiah came along. But nonetheless, Manasseh did his part. If you want to plant a tree of repentance, it should not bear the, tr the, the fruits of the sins that you walked away from. You got that? 
There needs to be, or, or trees of repentance need to be nourished with grace, prayer, the word of God, accountability, wisdom, obedience, and spiritual disciplines. All of those things um, bear beautiful fruits of repentance which glorify God. Amen. And finally, the third one. With God, repentance is possible for anyone. Remember this. Here the story is not Manasseh. It is God in all of his mercy. You think there was some intentionality on God's part to show mercy to the wickedest man on the planet? Absolutely there was. To boast in the greatness of his mercy uh, in front of, in front of, in a very public way, in front of the world. Can you imagine what people thought when he came back in, into town? Oh, here, the king, he has returned. Long live the king, maybe. And then one guy says, honey, you're not going to believe this. King Manasseh just came back and he put me on the demolition team. First thing in the morning, I had to go and tear down the, be on the team to tear down the Asherah statue in the temple of God. What is going on here? What a testimony. What a testimony to the transformational work of God after repentance. Remember, with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I do think of this. If you show the next slide, uh, that's my, my brother-in-law, Joe. If you look at Joe, um, he lives up in Maryland now with, uh, with my wife's sister, uh, Maria. This dude is the most generous, kind-hearted, loving man that you'd ever want to meet. He really is. Back in the 80s, after being abused, he became a, uh, he abused drugs and alcohol. He got into a life of crime, and he got into a very lucrative drug-running business from D.C. to Florida, running drugs up and down I-95. Uh, one of the most uh, you know, ruthless and, uh, criminals that you'd want to meet, right? And one day, God, like he did in Manasseh, stepped in. He got pulled over by the cops in Georgia. And as he was arrested and faced 35 years of prison uh, for running drugs, the Lord, uh, he fell upon that rock into a, a thousand pieces. He was so broken and so full of contrition. In fact, the cop said, are you guilty? And he goes, oh, yes, I am guilty. The, the, the judge and the cop saw so much contrition in him. <coughs> Excuse me. He only spent 18 months of his 35-year sentence. Isn't that amazing? If you, he has a book called Against All Odds if you want to read it. But uh, now, and now after what the Lord has done, so Joe and uh, his wife Maria, they run a recovery center for the guys that used to be exactly in his place up in Maryland. It's a beautiful story. It's good because when you read stories about hardened guys that turn, I mean, that's real life. We know those people. Raise your hand if you have been one of those people. Yeah. You have been one of those people. Oh, thank you, Lord. Um, so praise God for those of you that do prison ministry. I know a number of you do. I just talked to Mike Connor on. I'm not sure if he's in here. He's going to start working with guys in jail. The beautiful place when, when, when people come to the end of themselves, and they find themselves broken on the rock of Christ. That beautiful place, the beautiful demise of these people. <coughs> So, for those of you that are praying for impossible people, let me say this. <coughs> do not become weary in well-doing. Don't do it. Don't be afraid to pray that God strips them of all the things that they hold dear and gives them a beautiful demise that he may be found by them. I'll close with this. <coughs> Oswald Chambers. 
can be a little convicting sometimes. He wrote this, our goal is God himself. At any cost, dear Lord, by any road. If you want to pray a dangerous prayer, say, Lord, change me at any cost by any road. So I'm telling you, for those of you that are praying for impossible people, well, God would never save them. They would never repent. Do not become weary in well-doing and pray that God would be their goal and that the God would go after their hearts, even if it means their whole world has to come to a screeching halt at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. Well, there you go, Second Chronicles 33, the prequel that doesn't stink and the one that glorifies the merciful and gracious God who is calling us all back to him through perpetual repentance. Amen. Uh, let me give you a, a benediction today from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week, y'all. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.